my shepherd. I will not be in want. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside quiet waters. You restore my soul. You guide me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good morning, Heritage. It is great to have you worshiping with us this morning. I want to welcome everybody across our network, people in Bettendorf, so glad that you are here with us today. Men in Kiwani uh, was able to just connect with you last Monday. I am glad that you're a part of our team. And uh, anybody joining us online, I know a lot of people are traveling right now. Thanks for connecting in and staying caught up with this message series. And of course, Rock Island Campus, how are you doing? You doing good? So glad that you are here today. My name is Josh Howard, and I get to serve as the assistant campus pastor here at the Rock Island campus. I've been on staff at Heritage for two years, and uh, before that, way back in the late 70s, 80s, and uh, early 90s, I grew up at Heritage. I grew up in the Quad Cities, and Heritage Church was my home church, very formative time. And so it is uh, just a delight to be back on staff and uh, to be serving uh, in this role and, and with this church. I want to tell you just a little bit about my family of four. Now, there's a picture here from this last Christmas. It's kind of the brightness of the background washes it out a bit. But this is my family, and I love them. I've got a, a, a daughter named Emily, 16 years old, going to be a junior at Allman High School, plays tennis, and uh, is just the sweetest soul that you could ever meet. I'm biased, I know, but she is she's just a lovely human being, and uh, she is also a huge fan of the Marvel movies, which means that... Uh, and no spoilers, but she saw Infinity Wars number one and was super annoyed that she's going to have to wait a whole year to find out what happens uh, to all of her characters that she loves so much. So that's kind of what is going on in her head right now. I've got a son named Aaron. He is moving into sixth grade. Uh, John Deere Middle School is where he's going. He, is, uh, he loves baseball. In fact, uh, you'll, you'll notice maybe uh, he's wearing a Cardinals hoodie. And he is... He is uh, famous at, at his elementary school for wearing a cardinal shirt every single day of the week. And, and really, honestly, it's not the same shirt, okay? We've got, we've got like seven of them. And, uh, and so he wears a different cardinal shirt every single day of the week, and he's done this for like two and a half years. He's hardcore. He, uh, he loves baseball and uh, has a great wit, great humor about him, and uh, he, he's awesome. And then my wife, Melissa, she, she is uh, such a tremendous human being. I love her so much. She's feisty. She's organized. She's a teacher. She's actually taking on a new position at Moline High School starting in the fall. She's going to be, uh, she's a special ed teacher, and she's going to be pressing into English and study skills. And she's very excited to see what that next chapter of her life looks like. Uh, speaking of Melissa, her and I, on July 25th, we're going to be celebrating 20 years of marriage, which we are really, really excited about. Here's a Here's a pic of us from 20 years ago. Time flies. The, she's, she's really beautiful, but uh, the frosted, the frost of, 
the hair. I don't really know what was going on. And, uh, but but I, you know, I, I think about this a lot, but just how valuable and how, how much of a gift that she has been to me, but also very surprised that she said yes, because when she met me, I looked like this. And if you can't tell, I've got hair like pretty much down to here. And uh, not, nothing against long hair, but I was trying for a 90s grunge look, and I've just got too, too much of a baby face, and I can't grow facial hair. You can't see it, but I'm trying to grow a mustache here. It's been in the works for like two weeks, and that's all I could really do. So it was bad. And as such, when we got married, you'll notice the hair is short. <laughs> she, she told me to get rid of it. So that is our relationship, and uh, that's a little bit about who I go home to uh, every night and just give you a little bit uh, a sense of my own story. Well, I am, I am so privileged to be able to be on this team at Heritage. I love uh, the teammates that are here, just a high level of, of talent, but also a high level of passion for Jesus. I feel like every time I come in to work, I learn something new every day, and that's just indicative of how uh, talented our staff here is. Now, because I grew up at Heritage and because it's my home church, I have a special affinity for this body, so I counted a privilege to be able to, to do life with you, my tribe, my home church, and so I just expect great things Heritage has has already been a part of some great things with the Lord's leading, and my prayer is that we'll just continue to see great things happen in and through this body of believers. And so I am just, I feel privileged to be a part of this team. Well, this morning, we uh, we, we get to continue a series that I am super excited about. It's a series on the Psalms, Prayers of the Heart, where we're just taking a look at a, a full psalm each week over the course of the summer. Pastor Sean did an amazing job last week of, of setting us up and, uh, and talking to us and introducing the psalms to us. And this weekend, I have the privilege of taking the baton and hopefully carrying it into next week. I will tell you right up front, I love the Psalms. I have found myself in the Psalms in some of the most extreme emotions of my life, whether it's victory or celebration or whether it's brokenness, sadness, and even anger. The Psalms help give me verbiage to express some of those emotions, sometimes even just taking those lines of Scripture and praying them as my own prayers. It is such a valuable resource uh, for us to dive into. So it's, it's appropriate that we're taking time this summer to explore what these awesome little poems, what these little lyrics can teach us about God and about what he wants in us and from us. Now this weekend, I get the tall task of looking at Psalm 23. So I want to start with this because I, 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 you know, I'm just curious about this. But uh, who all memorized Psalm 23 at some point in their life, whether as a kid or, you know, a teenager, just, just any time of your life you memorize Psalm 23? Yes, this is, this is one of the most beloved and well-known pieces of Scripture. And, uh, and before I say anything specific about it, we've already heard it, now I want us to proclaim it and read it together. So Rock Island, lift your voices People in Bettendorf, read this along. Guys in Kiwani, read this along with us and let's this, let this soak in to our soul. Here we go, ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is arguably the most recognizable psalm. It might even be the most recognizable piece uh, of literature within the scriptures, though John 3.16 might have something to say about that. But Psalm 23 is broadly known and loved. What makes this psalm so special? What makes it so accessible? And I would suggest that a lot of it has to do with just The verbiage that's used, it's relatable, it's comforting, it gives us peace. It's also very short, it's easy to understand, it's easy to memorize. And it deals with some really amazing ideas of how God chooses to interact with us. This psalm is attributed to King David. Uh, He's the author of it and and the psalm is a hymn. So Pastor Sean last week talked about different types of hymns or different types of psalms. This psalm is a hymn, which means it's an expression of praise to God. In fact, there is an unwavering sense of trust and confidence that's just woven into the fabric of this uh, piece of literature. Various symbols that are included, various uh, various, uh, verbiage and ideas that are attached make it highly relatable to a wide variety of seasons of life. For instance, you can go to a funeral and you can read this poem, you can hear this poem in the midst of deep sorrow and you're gonna find that these words will bring you comfort. You can go to a wedding or a time of high celebration and you might hear this psalm recited and and you'll find that those words actually will augment and, and amplify the joy of the moment. You can read this as a prayer and, and you can trust that what the psalm says God will do for you in the future or you can read this as a statement of confidence and you can sort of just agree with David that you have found the Lord faithful thus far and you, you are just believing that he'll continue to be faithful. It is a beautiful poem. But straight away, I want us to notice something about the structure of the poem that I think will tell us something about the purpose of the poem. And I want us to, to see this, the, the, to notice that the, first, or the second word and the second to last word of the poem are identical. And the word is Lord. The, the, the word is Lord. And you'll notice that in the, in the text, it's, it's all caps, right? And anytime you come across uh, the word Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, you should know that, that the author is trying to... Uh, tell you or clue you in on, on an original language dynamic that is, is important for us to recognize when it's in use. And, and basically, what it, what's going on here is that the author is invoking the use of Yahweh, which is the, a sacred, holy name for God, which means the existing one or the one who is. This is what happens. Anytime you run across caps in an Old Testament and you see Lord in all caps, that is the name that's being evoked. And so here is David using the most revered name for God, and he's using them as bookends to start the poem and to end the poem. And you'll notice he never, it's the only two times he uses the proper name for God in this particular psalm. Every other occasion, he refers to God in a pronoun form. This communicates right away that the existing one, Yahweh, 
is the beginning and end to all of what David is about to write. Everything that David says in the psalm is shaped and framed by Yahweh, the existing one. In fact, David uses this structural choice to subtly communicate the overall tenor and and purpose of this poem. And uh, if you're following along with your notes, this is your first fill-in. And and basically, the goal of the poem is to celebrate the abiding presence of Yahweh. This poem is celebrating the abiding presence of Yahweh because start to finish, God is present over and over and over in Psalm 23. We get reminders of this, that, that he's willing to draw near to us, that he's willing to lend strength to us. He does not play hard to get. He wants to be involved in our lives. In fact, let's take a closer look at verse 1. We've already read it, but it says, the, the Lord is my shepherd. Notice that there is, there is a descriptor that's attached to Yahweh here, and the descriptor is, is that of a shepherd. That is significant. That's going to shape everything that follows. But further still, notice that David says, the Lord or Yahweh is my shepherd. Whatever comes later, we, we can know right up front, this is a deeply personal song that David is writing about the God, about God, about his relationship with God, about how God abides with him. And I I want us to also know that by using the concept of shepherd, that David is also cluing us in that he's not just interested in communicating that God abides, but he's interested in communicating the how and the what behind abiding. You know, for instance, all of us can abide, right? All of us can be present in a moment. It's nice if you're in the hospital and uh, you're recovering from a surgery, you're recovering from an illness, it's nice to have somebody abide with you. But if that person who's abiding with you is clanging a cymbal every five minutes, that changes things drastically, and you would like them to abide somewhere else, right? The how behind abiding makes a difference, and David wants us to know that, yes, God abides, but even more striking is that God abides as a shepherd, And that's appropriate, Uh, it's an appropriate metaphor for David to use because in ancient Israel, shepherd was a common occupation. Most everybody who would have read this poem originally would have completely understood the, uh, the metaphor and the comparison. And in fact, David himself served as a shepherd in his younger years. And so he knew exactly what the job description was for a shepherd. He knew that this, this metaphor would lend itself to describing how God abides with us. So verses two and three begin to get into that a little bit, where it says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now the verse or the verbs that are included in verses two and three are important. They're telling where you see makes and leads and restores because above all, a shepherd serves as the leader of his flock. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he is actually saying in part, the Lord is my leader. The shepherd was responsible for leading the flock to safe pasture. The shepherd helped guide the flock around pitfalls and dangers and and got them to places where they could find nourishment. The the shepherd knew better than anyone how the flock should go and, and where the flock should go and what paths the flock should walk. 
The shepherd knows what is best for the sheep. And friends, in the same way, God leads us with great wisdom. He leads us with great discernment. And he leads us in accordance to how he designed us as human beings. So when I read about green pastures, when I read about quiet restoration, when I, when I read about these, these, these terms of, of, you know, being restored and being nourished, I immediately think of Sabbath and I think of rest. Part of God's leadership in our lives is to, to help us resist unrelenting busyness. And he knows we just need rhythms of rest. We need rhythms of recalibration. Because one of the pitfalls of the human condition is that we are tempted to be defined solely by what we do and what we produce rather than who we are and whose we are. And, and this, this temptation just leads to a black hole of restlessness and, and insecurity and just the despairing feeling that you've never quite accomplished enough. But the shepherd wants to take us to quiet waters, to help us cut through the noise of our lives, to be gently restored, and to be reminded of who we really are, that we are children of the Almighty God. Now, I also notice another phrase that we should not miss, and that is paths of righteousness. That's, that's a significant term that we shouldn't uh, avoid or talking about a little bit because we, we need to understand that God will lead us to walk paths of obedience and right living. It's not just green pastures, but there's, there's also obedience implied in this, that he leads and we follow, we obey. And, and I want us to understand that when we're able to walk in paths of obedience, when, when we're able to walk in paths of righteousness, this is when we are most fully human. This is when we are most fully ourselves because we are living by God's original design for our lives. It's an amazing thought, really, if you think about the great shepherd, God Almighty, is also our creator and our designer, and he knows exactly how each of us are wired. He knows how humans should be wired, and he knows that the paths that he will lead us on will will actually lead us to greater purpose and greater life, whereas paths of sin will lead us to be diminished as a human and will begin to cloud our original purpose. Ultimately, God knows what path is best for us, but all of this requires submission to the leadership of God in our lives. Let me just clue in on one last thing in verse 1 here. We've already talked about the Lord is my shepherd, but this second part of verse 1 is also powerful. It says, I shall not want. Other translations will, will translate this as, I lack nothing or I have everything I need. This is a tremendous statement of contentment a tremendous statement of fulfillment that's coming from David. And I think that it helps us identify a, a deeply important reality that we can draw from these first three verses. And that is to say that true contentment is found when we submit to God as our shepherd leader. True contentment is found when we actually submit and surrender to God as the leader of our lives. Now, practically speaking, the question that we all will need to wrestle with this morning is, is how much of our lives have we handed over to the leadership of God? 
Are we willing to allow him to, to lead? Are we willing to hand over different areas and different facets and different rooms of our lives and, and allow him to take control? How we engage with maybe our work or at school or maybe how we engage with, with our kids or our parents or our marriage, how we spend our free time, how we spend our money, all of those things. How, how much have we given over to God to be the leader of our lives. And let me ask it maybe in a slightly different way. Is there a path that God has been nudging you to walk on that you have been resisting for a season? And I would challenge you, if you find yourself in that space today, I would challenge you to reflect upon this psalm as an encouragement to surrender to the leadership of God in your life because it is only there that you will find true fulfillment and contentment. And it is only there that we're going to be able to echo David where he says, I shall not want. And, and to be able to say, I have everything I need in my shepherd God. But this only happens when we're willing to submit to the one who knows the best path towards contentment. Now, all this is really good. And all of this talk about contentment and green pastures and quiet waters, those are all really great things, but we should not avoid verse 4 because there, there's something here that, that is honest. It's brutally honest, and we need to be aware of it, where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, friends, this is what I love about the Psalms. There, there is an honesty that is found in these lyrics that is very refreshing. Because, I mean, for me, if I'm a lyricist, it would be really easy for me to hang on happy things, right? Let's just talk about quiet waters and green pastures and celebration. Let's just talk about the Cardinals winning. Let's not talk about them doing anything else, you know? Just leave it at that. But, but David understands that that is not how the world works, that trouble will come, that we, we will walk in the valley, that we will walk in the shadow of death, that there's going to be seasons where we have to face down our fears, and we're going to have to face down our broken dreams, we're going to have to figure out how to move through relational tension and strife. Life is hard, and let's not pretend that it's any other way. And I am thankful that David chooses to be honest. But friends, I want us to notice something striking about verse 4. Because it, I, I think it, it demonstrates, particularly about the lyrics that he uses here, because it demonstrates something extremely powerful. And it has to do with the pronouns that David uses throughout this prayer. Now, I know it's grammar. Hang with me. I won't be on grammar long, but I promise you it's going somewhere that I think is important. But I want, I want you to see, and you might even want to turn to the front side of your notes and you can see the whole psalm together in one spot. But I want you to notice that in verses 1 through 3, apart from that early use of Yahweh, David only uses third-person singular pronouns to describe God. Do you see that? Where he says, he lets me rest. He renews my strength. He leads me. He or his are exclusively used in the first three verses. But something shifts in verse 4, and, and it is powerful. 
In fact, I want you to see this highlighted a different way here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for church. Go ahead and say it with me. For what? For you, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David shifts in verse 4, and it goes all the way through to the end of the poem. He shifts to second-person singular pronouns, and all of a sudden, this, this song about God turns into a prayer to Almighty God. And it's striking to me that at the first sign of trouble in this psalm that we see, David's lyrical instinct is to draw closer to Almighty God. And we see further evidence of God's abiding presence in our lives. For David, this was a presence that never left him to just figure out shadow of death stuff on his own. The presence of God was with him, you know, and, and David had a share of problems. He, he walked the valley several times, but here he gives testimony of God's faithfulness. You, God, you did not leave me. You will not leave me. And as such, I will fear no evil. And then David goes on. The news continues to get better because we, we've already seen how David looks at, at the shepherd as the leader, but then in verse four, it shifts a little bit and he looks at a different facet of a shepherd's job, which is the protector of the flock. And so what David does is he looks at two functions of the shepherd's staff, which is the way that I would translate this. When you look at rod and staff, I think he's talking about the same stick that the, the shepherd had, but it was just used differently. For instance, the word rod, is a, it's a function of the shepherd's staff, but it was a protective function. That The shepherd was masterful at using the staff as a rod to defend against predators who were attacking the flock. In fact, they, they were fierce. They were fiercely uh, de defensive of the flock. In fact, you know, I, I don't know, this is just me, but I, I just, my mind goes immediately to like Star Wars and Jedis and lightsabers and, and just all that stuff. And somewhere my wife is rolling her eyes at me, I recognize, but, but, but the, the shepherd was proficient at using the staff as a, as a, a weapon or a club to defend the flock. In fact, I mentioned King David. He was a shepherd in his early days. Well, we have an example of David defending his flock, and it's actually fairly brutal and fairly, it's, it's fierce. And so I wanted to just give us a sense of this. This is, this is a passage uh, where, where David is talking to King Saul, and this is right before he goes and faces Goliath down. And this is what he says. He says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and take the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I mean, that, that is fierce. I mean, you know, I'm not in that passage. Like, you know, David runs towards the animal. I'm going that way. I'm going out the back door. I'm not dealing with this at all. But shepherds were courageous and fierce defenders of the flock. And David was, was using his staff as a rod or a club to strike at those predators to keep them at bay so that the flock would remain safe. Shepherds had to learn to do that. They had to be intense protectors of the flock. And so in here in Psalm 23, David's recognizing, God, you are a fierce defender of your people, and you will stand in the way of an enemy that is circling around trying to strike at your children. 
particularly when they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when the flock is more susceptible to attack, when they can't see it and they, they don't know what's going on, God fiercely defends his flock. Now, David also mentions the staff. And I think David is probably thinking about the shepherd's crook at the top of the staff. It's kind of this, this gradual U-shaped part of the staff that, that fit neatly around the neck of a sheep. And it was really designed to sort of draw those sheep that were wandering back in to the flock. And, and so danger would come. And, and usually in this case, danger would come because a, a sheep would wander towards treacherous ground and the shepherd would reach out and bring the sheep back in to the flock. Now, I, I don't know exactly when David wrote the 23rd Psalm. There's a lot of different theories out there about that. But I do know this, that David experienced the crook of God's staff, bringing him back onto safe ground several times in his life. There were times where he just sort of, he just lost himself. And it was usually through the, the advice of, of stern counsel that the crook would bring David back into safe ground. And, and I, I feel like this is why his lyrical instinct is to, at this moment, turn it into a prayer to God because he had this recognition and he had the experience that, that God does not turn his back at the first sign of trouble. God does not run away at the first sign of trouble. In fact, God's first instinct when trouble hits the flock is to actually draw us closer in. That's good news for us. God wants to be our shepherd protector. In the same way that the shepherd was the protector of the flock, so God serves as the protector of his people. And, and here's what I've come to understand about this dynamic. I've come to understand that true comfort is found when we trust God as our shepherd protector. True comfort only comes when we trust the shepherd's heart, when we trust in his motives, when we trust that he won't just flee and abandon us at the first sign of trouble. You know, God's protection in the valley should be comforting to us. God's instinct to draw us in at the first sign of trouble, that should be reassuring. And I think that, that what David talks about here in this passage actually echoes something that the Apostle Paul writes many years later in the book of Romans, where he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so David declares here, I will fear no evil because I'm in the flock of my divine shepherd protector who will never leave or forsake his people to the evil one. He will never run at the first sign of trouble, but rather he will draw us closer in. And that is extraordinary news for us. But then we still have this Verses five and six, this, this grand finale of this amazing psalm. In fact, I, I want us to read this out loud together again, just to pull us in, because it, it is truly a beautiful ending to a beautiful psalm. So let's read this. Bettendorf, can want to get in on this? Let's, here we go. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's beautiful. It is beautiful. And I notice that 
where the first four verses of Psalm 23 concentrate really on God choosing to abide with us as a shepherd, these last two verses shift in focus. And, and all of a sudden, we're looking at God inviting us to abide with him. And, and the, the, the metaphor changes, right? Where the first four verses, the metaphor really is, is talking about God in terms of a shepherd. But in these verses, in verses five and six, we see God more as a warm host inviting us in to reside with him. Here we find that God is deeply hospitable, that God is inviting us to his table, that he's inviting us into his dwelling space and that he is ready to present us a meal, he's ready to anoint us with oil, and he's ready to give us shelter. I mean, this is like the best bed and breakfast that we could ever find because God is deeply hospitable to his people. In fact, look at the very first image of hospitality in verse five where, where it says, you, you prepare a table before me. You, you prepare a feast for me. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I sort of get uncomfortable at first, right? I, I, I don't think that I deserve God cooking for me. I don't think that I deserve God, you know, putting all of this on the table and, and me sitting down and him doing the work. That's just kind of a weird concept to me. I'd rather switch it around. God, you sit down. I can't cook very well, but here, you, I, I'll serve you. And, but then I realize that this is something that, that Peter dealt with when Jesus attempted to wash his feet and Peter pushed back and said, no, no, I, I don't, you shouldn't do this. And, and Jesus rebukes him gently. And, and, and I think the concept here is that we have to allow God to love us. We have to put ourselves in a position where God can pour out his love on us. I, I feel like this is such a difficult thing for so many people. I, I don't know if it's maybe insecurity or or maybe it's a feeling of you just don't deserve it or you're not worthy of it. But so many of us have a hard time just allowing God to pour his love out on us. But God wants to bless you and he wants to anoint you and he wants, to, he wants you to experience his love in fullness. There's this phrase in there about, you know, uh, anointing, uh, my head with oil. Now, that's kind of a weird concept for us, I, you know, but, but back in David's day, this was actually a pretty lavish thing. When, when you were anointed with oil, usually it was perfumed oil, and it was actually a great honor to be anointed by someone with oil. It symbolizes festivity, and it symbolizes blessing and health. Having the cup of blessing overflow is actually indicative of God's generosity, that God Friends, he is not stingy with his love, that he wants to pour it out on you in some lavish ways. He wants you to allow him to love you well. But then we get to the final verse, which is so beautiful. And you see here that God is inviting us. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is inviting us to reside with him. He's inviting us home. And, and notice the, the phrasing here where for most of our life, evil and the evil one are the ones that are following us. But, but here in verse 6, it says that, that uh, mercy and, and goodness and love are the things that will pursue us and follow us the rest of our days. See, when we are residents in God's house, those are the things that will follow us and pursue us rather than evil and the evil one. This is, this is 
so encouraging, so comforting, and it stands as an invitation to come home, to, to, to come to God's dwelling spot and to allow him to love you. In fact, in each of these examples, we've got table and oil and house. God is extending the gift of invitation. He has abided with us and now he desires to abide, he desires us to abide with him in his space. All three of these gifts remind us of something extraordinary. That is that God loves you, that he favors you, that he is for you. And I feel like there's, there's probably people here, Rock Island, Bettendorf, Kiwani. I, I bet there's people that are sprinkled in our spaces this weekend that desperately need to be reminded of this. And so I want to say it again, and I want this truth to wash over you, that God loves you, that he favors you, that he is for you. He wants to bless you and love you. And my challenge to you is let him do it. Open yourself up to him and allow him to love you and accept his invitation to abide with him and to come home. Well, all of this leads to the so what moment. And uh, this morning's so what moment, it's really a challenge and a question. Uh, the, the challenge is for everyone. And that's just simply, to, I challenge you to have confidence in the heart of our shepherding God. Have confidence in his heart. Trust him. Trust that he knows what paths are correct, what paths are right. Trust in, in the way that he wired you as a human to, to pursue righteousness along with rhythms of rest. Trust his heart. Trust his protection. Have confidence in him. He will not steer you wrong. But the second part of our so what moment, it comes in the form of a question. And I'm not sure where exactly this will land, but I just felt very impressed that this was something that I needed to ask. But I, I, I want to ask the question, is there anyone here that needs to accept the invitation to come home? Is there anyone that needs to accept God's invitation to abide with him and to join him and to, to, to be in his dwelling space? See, God invites us to be citizens of his kingdom. And, and that happens when we put our trust in Jesus, who, by the way, the gospel of John calls the good shepherd. And when we believe in his death and believe in his resurrection, we can become citizens of his kingdom. And if this is a decision that you haven't made, I would encourage you to pray about it, think about it, process it. In fact, there's a prayer in the back of the sermon notes that can help you kind of look at, at just a, a simple way to interact with God on this. And I, I want you to know that if this is a decision that you're making for the first time, tell somebody, whether you're here at Rock Island, Bettendorf, Kiwani, tell a volunteer, tell someone with a lanyard on, uh, fill out your connection card and let us know because we want to come alongside of you. This is a huge decision and we want to resource you to start your journey well with Jesus because we want you to make the decision to come home and to let God love you lavishly. Now for all of us, Psalm 23, it stands as this most recognizable psalm it's well known. Hopefully you leave here with even more of a sense of why. Because the language here is so accessible. It reminds us of so many comforting things. Yahweh abides with us. 
He will never leave us or forsake us. He guides us well. And he is constantly pursuing us with love and mercy and goodness. Not only does he abide with us, but he then offers very generously for us to come and abide with him. He wants to love us well. And that is an extraordinary truth. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your great mercy and your great love. I thank you for David's words that you inspired. I I thank you for this reminder of you as our shepherding God, who is our leader and our protector. Help us to trust you. Help us to submit to your leadership because we know you won't steer us wrong. Help us to to come to a place where we don't fear evil because we we recognize that you are going to use your rod and your staff to keep the enemy away and to keep us close. And that, God, you would also remind us of that image of you as a warm host, which I feel like runs contrary to some images of you that, that are, are around us, about you being angry all the time and out to get us. Here is this vivid image of you as a warm host. So I pray, God, that you would allow us to, to receive this, this metaphor of you loving us well, and that we would come home, that we would choose to abide with you. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.